Welcome, everybody, to the 12th edition of Upon Further Review. I'm Kevin Sherrington. There is Barry Horn, and somewhere in Colorado is Evan Grant. Do I don't they, think it's somewhere. It's Denver. I mean, it's not like it's some great mystery spot. I don't. I don't know where you're staying in Denver. I'm just. I'm just saying it's in Colorado somewhere. Today we're going to talk about the Big Twelve. We're going to talk about the Rangers, but first we're going to talk about the British Open and Jordan Spieth. And my question for the day is: Did Jordan Spieth choke? I. I you had all this time to come up with a good question, and you came up with that. That's your question. That's the most ridiculous, asinine question I've ever heard. No, Jordan speak. And, and let me say jump. this, Kevin. There is a long list of ridiculous and asinine questions from you from which to choose. Yes, there are. You know Actually, what? And you know what this goes back to? This is why people hate the media. This is did Jordan? What did we do? We built him up. The, the guy won the first two two legs of, of the of the uh, Grand Slam, golf's Grand Slam. Comes as close as you can to winning to winning uh, the British Open, number three to go for the PGA, number four. And you're asking, did a guy who finished one stroke off the lead choke? Listen, they they pay me to ask these tough questions, and that's what I do. Uh, Barry, I will say this: all Kevin is doing is turning the national conversation right now, oh, because Wilbon and Kornheiser asked this question of one another yesterday afternoon. And what was their conclusion? Their conclusion was the same as ours, that there's no way that the guy chokes. But they decided that they had to ask the question. I don't know why. I don't know why we had to ask the question. And somebody in USA Today this morning on their For the Win page wrote a column that the guy did choke. Why? Because what? He four-putted one green on the back nine of the British Open? It, it is the British Open. It is a calamity waiting to happen at every turn and every hole. It's kind of like, I, it's kind of like your life, right, Evan? My, no, my life is a calamity at every That's turn. exactly Not one waiting to happen. Yeah. That's exactly. Well, that, that that was on the that was actually on the front nine where he had the four putt on the par right. three, which was really ironic for a guy such a great putter as uh, as Jordan is. But of course, he didn't choke. But you know, the, to me, it's good that we bring these things up. Did he make the cut? Did did did, did he go did, did he go four over on the hole where he had to make the cut? That might you might think that might have been a choke. The man did not choke, and he's a man. I think people put that uh, – the reason that people think that sometimes is because you put yourself in a position to win. I think if he had come out there and he had, you know, had four days of shooting 70, uh, then then people would say, ah, oh, well, okay, all right, he, we, we move on. But when you come that close, that's when people start to think, look at this thing as a tragedy. In, in my mind, look, he, the kid wants to be great. He wants to be the greatest golfer who ever played, which is certainly a great goal. We're, we were so tired – of golfers who are glad that they just had their helicopters and their mansions and, and their yachts and whatever, that, that they were just happy they were making a lot of money. Uh, and now we're in an era of, of guys who, who want to be the greatest, and that's a great thing. So he's the one who put this on himself. He wanted to win the Grand Slam. He didn't put anything on himself. No, no, he wants I, to win the Grand Slam. There's no question. Or he wanted to win it. He, he talked about it. He wants to do he that. Doesn't, he does not deserve for people and, and, and whatever you want to call us, does not deserve the idea of, of discussing the idea of a choke. No, no, no. Not, I, don't, I, don't say, I don't say he brought the choke upon it. I'm saying that he brought it upon himself, that, that the, the pressure of wanting to win this. He didn't say, you know what, uh, let's let that go. Let's, let's decide this. No, he, he, he embraced it. He said, 
I want to win the Grand Slam. I want to do something that no one has ever done, and, which is great. And he came pretty darn close. And he, came and, and he close. gave it. A, he gave it a, a, a heroic. I would say a heroic effort. It's he not didn't heroic. Have, he didn't have his best stuff. It's not heroic. He didn't. He didn't have, save anybody. He, he didn't, didn't risk his have life. his best stuff. Correct. Will you agree with that? He was a pitcher who went out there, and he and he didn't have his best fastball, his curve, but he. But he grinded. It's and hard he to say. Hard. It's hard to say at the British Open who's got their best stuff. You know, the the course demands so much of you all the time that it, it always just seems like people are just you know floundering around out there, and whoever doesn't drown is the one who wins. Uh, and yet so, somehow he played fourteen under par and was what three under in the final round. And yeah. yet I'm, we're still somehow on this idea of choking. Stop. No, we didn't, we didn't say we didn't say choke. We raised the question. You need to calm down, Evan. We're just raising let's, the question. We raised the question. We answered the question. We said he did not choke. He played great. He's having a great year. Uh, he, he's on his way. Every, everything's great. Life is great. How, how about we just do this? How about we sum this up this way? The guy played three incredible major tournaments. He was in contention for the British Open until the very last hole. He, while he stood there after losing his ability to win the Grand Slam and watched the playoff unfold, then immediately went to Zach Johnson and congratulated him for the win. And afterwards, Zach Johnson cited Jordan Spieth as being a better person than he is a golfer, and he's a pretty darn good golfer. And so everything we want from an athlete, grace, humility, um, uh, sportsmanship, Jordan Spieth showed in the British Open and has showed all year. And, yeah, Kevin, he's shown also the desire to be great. These are all things we want in an athlete. I see no reason to question anything that took place over the course of the past five days. Evan, I'm going to cut you off here because that's that's a filibuster, not an opinion. But you're right. Evan Grant, voice of reason. Remember that. Digest that. See how that is. Evan, you're right. Kevin, where are we going? Now we're going on to the Big 12. The Big 12 media days are going on here in Dallas at the Omni. Monday and Tuesday, and we're, ta- we're Monday, here on a Tuesday. This is Tuesday. I was out there yesterday uh, listening to Bob Bowlesby uh, talk, uh, and, uh, and, and you know he talked about you know, what, it, uh, what the Big 12 needs to do to, to, to go forward. You know, we had David Bourne bringing up the question of, uh, is the, the Big 12 psychologically disadvantaged because it does not have 12 members? Uh, or more, uh, and and so you know we had the big conversation about that. That is that the reason why the Big Twelve was shut out of the college football playoff last year? Is it because it didn't have a, a, a championship game, a conference championship game? Um, no, that's because TCU choked when they were down in Waco and playing Baylor. That's, that's choke. <laughs> the choke question. The choke. Let's bring it up. Yeah, they, they came closer to talking oh, than, than Jordan Speed did, but uh, but yeah. Uh, so those were the those were the the questions that were brought up in my column for Tuesday's paper. What I wrote was that these are the things that the conference needs to do before it considers any of the above. First, Baylor and TCU have to pick up where they left off last year. Second, Texas and Oklahoma have to pick up where they left off last decade. Mm-hmm. And third. The Big 12 has to leave cap space available for real, legitimate 
expansion candidates, not the ones they've been talking about. They have to keep their powder dry? They have to keep their powder dry. I was thinking that when I read read your column today. They have to keep their powder dry. Yes, they do. Do do teams like schools like Baylor and TCU, do they have to have better non-conference schedules? I asked that question. uh, And, and, you know, it's one of the things. You know, there are conferences such as the SEC that say, hey, these are the teams you have to play in your non-conference schedule. You've got to play – one, uh, you know, uh, a, a good team. You got to play one. You know, it's the, it's the old. We're going to play one team. That's a question of whether we can beat them. We're, we're going to play one team that we're going to beat, and we're going to play one team we're going to kill. Uh, and in the Big Twelve, they don't have that kind of thing. Which I asked the question to somebody directly about: Does Baylor need to improve its schedule? Uh, you know, because last year there was talk that that was the reason why Baylor didn't make it was because of their non-conference schedule. Bob Bowlesby said they did not hear from anyone. Who complained from the CFP? Who complained about their schedule, their non-conference schedule? Uh, no, that's because they were too busy laughing at their non-conference schedule. It's it's a joke. Baylor's is a joke, and TCU's is a little bit more admirable, but it's not. But but they're not comparable. Mr. Look SEC at, here. On, we're, we're talking about right. SEC. All right, let's look 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 at the, well, SEC. You know, we, the SEC's non-conference schedules are no better. It's the fact that they play such a tough conference schedule. Their non-conference schedules are jokes, and they're playing that, bad teams late in the season. What they do, what those what those teams do, and you're going to say that Florida playing Florida State every year at the end of the season, that's a bad team every season? You're going to say Georgia playing Georgia Tech at the end of, of, of every season is a bad team at the end of every season? I did not, say, I did not say that those were. I said they, they, if you look on the schedules at about that uh, that week eight or nine, there's about there's a, everybody in the, in the league is playing somebody really terrible. Yeah, every everybody's got a homecoming game, and they've got a homecoming passy coming up late in the season, so that they can get they can get a breather for what usually amounts to one or two last big games. Auburn playing Alabama, um, the Georgia Auburn game is in November. Georgia-Florida is in November. Um, Come on, let us have, let, tell us all the, ga- all the games Georgia plays. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Mr. 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 Bulldog. Come on. But, but the bottom line is, I mean, if you look at the SEC, most of those schools have a, have a regional rival in the area that is not in the SEC but is in a major conference, either the, 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 Atlantic, the Atlantic Coast, um, like a lot of the Eastern Conference teams, or the Big Ten for some of the Eastern Conference teams. Um, and you know LSU has uh, LSU has played A and M. Well, LSU played A and M before. Evan, can I ask you a question? We're in a conference together. What, what is the point of all of this scheduling talk you're talking about? The the Big Twelve needs to toughen up its non conference schedule. There, I, there, there, there's no team in the state of Texas, uh, good D one team. Any of the Big Twelve teams can play, is there? Correct. That's no, there the, is. Of course, there is. Evan, <laughs> tell tell us what it is, Kevin. <laughs> No, here's the here's the point. Yeah, it would help Texas if they say it, yeah. Yes, absolutely. It, 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 the point is, is that they yes, it would help if they play better teams. But look, here's, <clears throat> the, the real issue is that Texas and Oklahoma have to be what they were. It, you know, they, they are the team. They are the the traditional powers in the Big Twelve. And if those teams return to the kind of teams they were before, not only does it help the the image nationally, but it helps Baylor and TCU. If you beat Texas, sure. Texas is really good. Well, then you've really done something. I think that people look at it like they don't measure uh, what Baylor and TCU did last year by who who do they beat in non conference. They look at it and say Texas stinks. 
They got no quarterback. So when you beat, when you kill Texas, that's no big deal. Uh, and Oklahoma is struggling. So when you beat Oklahoma, that that's no big deal. I think if if, you, if we could see the the uh, the Texas and Oklahoma of the of the early two thousands, then if they played that way again. Then the better and TCU's got something. My question would be. Can that possibly happen? Because we have not had in the state of Texas a time in, in pretty much the history of the AP rankings. I did a column about this last year where you had as many as three or four teams from the state and from Oklahoma that are top 10 teams. Not like you see in the SEC. And the reason for that, thanks for the question, Barry. I just want everybody out there to know I was using my hands. To ask you were? Question. Okay, good. Yeah. The, the, the reason for that, I, I believe, is because there's just so much great talent to go around. Uh, and I, I really have no other explanation for it. Uh, but when one team's up, another team's down. You never you well, never see them all up at once. You never see three or four of them up. up. And when I say up, I mean a top ten kind of team. I do think, yeah, I, I do think that because of the way Baylor and TCU have played over the past four or five years and have elevated their national status once again, I do think that if you kind of had a round robin with Texas, Oklahoma, Baylor, TCU, where those those teams basically all split and you had a bunch of nine and two, ten and two teams, you would see teams, four or five teams, and three or four teams, I'm sorry, in the top 12, top 15. Um, but that was not the case previously. You know that was that was not the situation in the conference previously because, uh, well, PCU wasn't there first of all, and Baylor was Baylor was was everybody's patsy. Um, and, and so now I think you've got, as you said in, in your column, Kevin, you've got two programs that are definitely on the rise in TCU and Baylor, um, and and have arrived. And if you do have Texas and Oklahoma get back to where they were in the 2000s. Then you do have well, legitimate conference elite elite teams. Well, let's not leave out Oklahoma schools like Oklahoma State and, and uh, Texas Tech. We can leave Texas Tech out for now. Well, well, for now, but but th- but those schools have have you know if they're if they're in the mix as well. Now you have six teams in the mix. Uh, I, there are some teams I think uh, Kansas stick to basketball. Kansas State too. Kansas State. Kansas State's oh is but Kansas continue. better stick to basketball, and Iowa, Iowa State better stick to basketball yeah. too. But uh, aside, aside from that, this, this could be a really good conference, but I'd love to see them have 12 teams. And I think you're right. I think you made a good point today. Uh, you know, keep, the powder, keep your powder dry, and, you know, some teams will become disenchanted in their conferences they're at. Teams although, such as? Although, although. Let's pick up the team. Uh, well, 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 let me just say this. Let me just say this. I think they, they made a big mistake in, in not uh, having Louisville in, in, in the conference. Instead of? Instead of West Virginia. West Virginia. Right. They should have taken Louisville instead of West Virginia. And, but you and they, and they did that at, at ESPN's encouragement, by the way. Here's the one question I've got about teams that become disenchanted with their conference. Who is most likely to become disenchanted with their conference? Nebraska? Nebraska could. You know, there's talk that Nebraska could want to come back uh, from the Big Ten. Uh, and, and, if, and, that, and, the, and they would be welcomed back with open arms. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. At, at, this point, at this point, they would. But I... It, but but Nebraska, in my mind, is still living on where it was in the 1970s and early 80s, thinking that it should it, be the bellwether of a conference, it's, and it's, it's not anymore. It, well, it's it's certainly doesn't bring a, a big television market with it. It doesn't, but you know, it's it's a, a traditional it's a brand. Power. It's a brand. It's a brand, and that's and see, that's what, exactly what well, that's what the the SEC was doing when it came and got Missouri and Texas A and M. What did either one of those schools do? Well, A and M, A and M, if 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 you if conceivably 
brings the Houston market, which is a huge market. No, no, I know that brings, brings the market. Dallas, Mar- Dallas it, it, market. There's no question. That's why they came and got them. Oh yeah, I, and, that was, and that was brilliant. That was number. That was reasons number one through ten. Yeah, was TV market, uh, and and it is a great brand. So, uh, but but that but they hadn't won. You know, Nebraska won a couple of national titles. In oh the yeah, 90s, yeah, right. But so, but that, you know what? I, I hate to get back to a, a, a recurring theme here. That's a long time. ago. It was a long time ago. That's right. There's no question about it. But that that you have to come out and get those kind of. You saw what what the SEC did. They came and got Missouri and Texas A&M. They didn't get Louisville. They didn't get West Virginia. They didn't get you know those those are schools that that that, that are obviously Louisville is a great basketball power. But we're talking about football here. They were a pretty good football team under were, their old coach. They were Charlie Strong, who did a great job there. At if he does as good a job in Austin as he did in Louisville, the the Big if 12. If he can find a quarterback like he found in Louisville, they would be doing very well. Well, he might. He, we'll have to see about that. I'm I'm going to write about that for Wednesday's paper about. Uh, what Texas is going to do at quarterback because to me they have to make a decision and they have to make it soon. Evan, what are you going to write about in Wednesday's paper for, for what you well, for what what are you what you're covering the disaster was, in the mountains? The actually, rock. I was actually thinking that if I was going to write about Texas in the quarterback situation, I would ask either what the boosters um, are willing to pay or how much Steve uh, Patterson is no, going to you, charge. No, no, it's, it's the team that you cover, which I, which I was trying to segue to. And I wanted to hear about the Rangers. They, there's no salary cap in baseball, and yet we hear the Rangers can't afford this and the Rangers can't afford that, and everybody everybody doesn't want a pitcher like mm, Cole Hamels on, on the roster. Nobody wants him. He's had a couple of bad starts. So, but but Evan, what's going on with that team you, you you're with in uh, Denver? Uh, what nothing really good is going on with this team right now. It's um, in a lot of ways, I just think it, it, it's kind of gotten to a point where it's, it's somewhat overmatched, and and all the all the cracks are are becoming more than than cracks. They're becoming you know big gaping holes. I, what what in the world has happened to Tanner Shepherds? Listen, the, two, the first two hits that Shepherds gave up last night were Coors Field specials, and he's pitched pretty well since he came back from the minor league. That was not my that was not my issue last night. Look, you get down seven nothing, even in Coors Field, you don't expect to win. And over the last twelve games, Rangers' rotation has been right at eight. That's been their ERA for the last dozen games, seven point nine eight. Is that good? You're not going to win. Oh. You're not going to win games when you fall behind by big margins early, especially uh, with this offense, which. Um, is very hit and miss, and, and and seems to be very limited against left-handed pitching. Uh, there's there's just look. This team played well in May and got itself back into it, and, and has not been able to kind of uh, hold hold its ground where it needed to be. And offensively, there just don't appear to be any real reinforcements coming. And because of it, you're left to a a. Uh, cobbled together starting rotation that that doesn't really have an elite pitcher to try and win games. Colby Lewis is your best pitcher right now. See, my, my problem with this team is you could you could see. Um, well, I, we all knew there were going to be problems as soon as, as Derek Collin went out again and New Darvish was out. Uh, we wrote the season off for the most part, and because of May, we decided to write them back in. And now we've written them back off uh, again. Uh, but it, it, my problem with this team has been from pretty much from the beginning, uh, the bullpen. 
This is the one area where they they went in. You know, what are you going to do to fix the starting rotation? You 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 lost you know the, your four top starters essentially from last year, or, or, or they should have. You know, you should have started the season with. So there was not a lot to ask to replace most of that. And most of these things that have happened, you could fairly project. But the bullpen has been a disaster. And uh, and the guys who had the most potential, certainly Naftali Feliz, who's no longer even with the club, uh, Tanner Sheppers, who, uh, despite your claims that he's been pitching well, to me, every time <laughs> he goes out there, I, I see a guy who is who looks to me like I am ready to spit this up right now. Uh, he, he's not a guy with great body language on the mound. There's no, no he is point. not. And, 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 and that's my problem with it. His, his is a guy, to me, the problem with this pitching staff from, the, from the, the, the front end of it all the way to the end of the bullpen is that where's somebody with some real stuff here? Where's somebody, you know, that if, if, they, if there's a, a margin of error here, they're going to blow somebody away. Tanner Shepherds comes as close to that as anybody who's left, and he can't do it. Uh, don't disagree with you on that one bit, Kevin. I mean, the, the, the question on Shepherds has always been he's got great velocity on the fastball, but he doesn't have a whole lot of movement. And if he doesn't have that movement, guys are going to be able to square pitches up. It, it, it has not been a good bullpen. It has not fit together from day one. Um, you, you can go back and you can question whether or not the Rangers ruined if Holly Feliz. Um, and, and I would say that in, in in a lot of ways, the club bears some significant blame there. But also, you have to you have to question, you know, exactly who is Naftali Police too. Oh, absolutely, um, that's a two way street there. There's no question about that. Uh, they did not invest in the bullpen this winter, um, and, and I, I feel like their their perspective on the bullpen has always been that by and large bullpens kind of come together, and, and you've got to find an unexpected piece. Uh, that, that kind of blossomed, and that has worked in the past. It has not worked the past two years. Um, yeah, yeah Dennis has done it. a good job of putting these bullpens together, and that's why I thought going into this season he's done such a good job. I gave him a little credit for it. I said that maybe he'll do it this year, even though he didn't have a left-hander in the bullpen to start the season, which was a, which was a problem. But uh, at this point, to me, what this club still needs is some reason that Daniels has to give this, uh, this fan base some reason for hope. You know he's got to he's got to bring up somebody at some point. You know whether that's uh you know whether he he decides to bring up is Luke Jackson anywhere remotely close to bring up to put in the bullpen? I think he's still a question mark about whether or not he's gonna he's got enough command to uh, put him into kind of high leverage situations in the bullpen. I did. I, I don't see them fixing the bullpen situation this year. Is there, um, Evan, let, let me ask you this. Let me, is there ever anybody who's ready in this organization to come up? Every time we talk about somebody, they're not ready to come up. It, it, it seems that other organizations, they bring guys up and they play. And when the Rangers bring somebody up, they've they, they brought them up too early or they've rushed them. Is, is there anybody in this organization who, are, who, who could come up and help the team? Uh, hey, Barry, the, it, it's a great, it's a great question. And when you see Carlos Correa come to the big league, and absolutely, he's pretty good, isn't uh, he? Absolutely, look like he belongs um, with with no real deficiencies. And then you wonder, you, you look at the Rangers and guys they bring up either have significant injury issues like Perez and Profar did just about the time they should have taken off, or they fail. Um, uh, to, to, to live up to expectations, 
or in the case of, you know, their big investment in some of the Latin American free agents like Leonis Martin, they never really develop into players that the Rangers thought they would develop in. So who who, who is the most bring-upable, is that, is, that, is, that, is that a word? Uh, promotable. No. Promotable yeah. player in the organization right now. Give us a name. The most promotable player in the organization right now. Who could That's help? The, I don't think I don't think they have a piece that could help, and I think this is I think by and large this is why we get to what what my one point that I wanted to bring up was uh, uh, in Rangers conversation is the Rangers need to get rid of Sinchichi. That's a failed contract. Okay, they, they they've got 120 million dollars or whatever left into Chu, but here's the deal: to get rid of Chu, you're going to have to eat a bunch of that contract. At least 50 million, fine. right? At least, and that's fine. Other clubs do that with contracts they want to get rid of. Who, who's he brought- Angels have done it over and over again. But here's the thing. You don't have anybody to bring up exactly. to him. Who's he blocking? Who's he keeping in the minor leagues? Who's, who's uh, uh, progress so is, if, is, is he hurting? Nobody. So if you're going to pay that $20 million and you don't have somebody who's going to step in and perform better than him, you might as well continue to take a chance that you're going to get that one year that he actually performs like Sinchi Chu. Okay, but now you've changed the, you've changed the subject. Congratulations. I just so no, there's, there was nobody to bring up. Correct. There's nobody to bring up who's going to solve this. Who's going to solve this? You know, I read I read these websites and I, I read all these experts and these guys who, who are um, experts on minor league baseball and, and nobody's ready to come up. This is, we've been, we have been over this before, Barry. That we have a cottage industry here in Texas of guys who write and promote and talk about the minor league system like it is a paragon of talent. And by and large, the club's prospects that they have brought up have not performed up here. And I think expectations have been raised too high for fans. And I think that, that inflated there have been inflated values of players um, based on the hype that they've gotten. All right. Let's, let's move on. Let's talk about it, an organization that has found players, that that knows how knows how to bring along players. Whose general manager I think was the executive of the year in the in the NFL last. We talk year. about the stars. No, although I do like I, you know I, I read Mike Heiko in the Dallas Morning News and and I and I'm very excited about the upcoming season, providing they get some goaltending. But let's talk about the Cowboys. They're getting ready to go away to camp. What what, do you, what would make you happy, Evan, with the Cowboys in camp? What are you looking for? Uh, what am I looking for from the Cowboys in camp? I, 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 I'm a beat guy, Barry, and beat guys. You know, their the one thing is a beaten guy. I'm a beaten guy. Yeah. They, they, what they've seen over and over and over in, in years of covering teams is the catastrophic injury in a training camp. And if this team comes out healthy, now having Dez happy and ready to catch balls again. Uh, they should be okay. I've still got big questions about just how effective their running game is going to be, but I think that offensive line is so good that if everybody stays healthy, they will be they will run the ball adequately enough to allow their other weapons to really succeed. Kevin, did you see or read what Emmett Smith had to say about DeMarco Murray last season? He basically he agrees with Joseph Randall that 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 
DeMarco left a lot of meat on the bone. There was what? What is going on? He he shattered Emmett Smith's records. I get. Can you look at every run and say, oh, he could have got another yard here. He could have got another yard yeah, here. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean? want to hear anybody parsing someone's yardage on this play. Oh, this play he could have gotten this. You know, look, if he would. Yeah. Yeah. No. Look. No. No back sees every hole every time it, it comes open. You know. So that's it's ridiculous to hear that kind of conversation. I. You know. Uh. The the, the thing that uh, besides the fact that DeMarco runs very hard. Uh. And uh, and you know I think people forget. I think there was only one back in the NFL who had more 20-plus run uh, carries than DeMarco Murray last year. So they make it sound like he was just this you know, plow horse back there. Uh, but the other thing I have brought up several times is that he was also a very good uh, pass blocker, very good at picking up players blitzing. And when you have a quarterback like Tony Romo who is one shot away – from you know going in being carried off the field, I, I think it's very important that they find a running back back there that's going to keep him safe. So is that the most important thing that? that yeah, they I think it is. I think they got to make sure, and I think that's why Darren McFadden is here. I think that's why they 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 took him because they weren't confident that Joseph Randall was going to be that kind of back. I think they did think that Joseph uh, that Darren McFadden was going to be able to do that, and and I would not be surprised if McFadden starts games. I don't think it means that he plays most of the games, but I think he'll start the games, and that's why you'll see more of a committee, not because this guy can't run and that guy can run, it's that in these obvious passing situations, we're going to have to have a back back there who's going to keep Tony clean. Evan, you want, will you want to say goodbye to everybody? Yes, I've got to go do some um, medicinal shopping out here in medicinal uh, <laughs> shopping. What, 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 are you, what are you buying? What are you, what are you looking for? Tell us. Actually, actually, probably today I'm looking for some ointment for my eyes. I knew that. I have an <laughs> well, you, you, you and Josh Hamilton. Do, do pharmacies just follow you around? Can, can, can we have a, a segment on this? Uh, what 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 pharmaceutical? What's Evan buying today? What's on my What's on Evan's malady list? What's 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 on Evan? How, your stomach well? Your back well? So my stomach and your, my al- back your allergies are good. My, that was see that was kind of a joke. Larry. I don't know if you're aware that they sell <laughs> marijuana here. I did not know that, Evan. I did know that, Evan. But with well, Evan, uh, I love you to death. But I know with you, when you're talking about pharmaceuticals, it's something that my my grandmother would be talking about buying. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Barry, you are all too correct on that. All right, Evan. There goes Evan Grant, everybody. We, we're great to have him on the phone here. Uh, I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Barry Horn. Evan, will you be back joining us next week in in studio? Yes, I'll be in studio. Hopefully, I can even have lunch with you, Phil. Oh, very nice. Very nice. All right, everybody, thanks for coming. We'll see you next time.